1 Corinthians chapter 4, are you there? Look at verse number 1. 1 Corinthians 4, 1. We've been uh, going over these mysteries on the fourth Sunday of the month because I didn't want to miss the the crowd that's downstairs um, going through Revelation series. They'll miss that that uh, portion, so I want to keep everybody in on that, and so we've been doing this uh, studies on the, the seven mysteries, right? And uh, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ. Um, that's a great thought. When you are looking at a church or looking at a pastor, how are you supposed to view them? Minister of Christ. Uh, you guys that are called to preach, when you go in the jails or the nursing homes or you fill in for me here, you know how you should view yourself and how the folks should be viewing you? As a minister of Christ. You're not of yourself. You're of Christ. And that's what you're supposed to be ministering to. Church is not about uh, the dogma of the church. I mean, it's great that we have a great church family here. I, I love the spirit of this church. I love the fact that it feels like home. I love the fact that there is structure. There seems to be quite a bit of structure. And, and uh, authority seems to be respected. And yet there's still plenty of liberty and individuality among us. I like that. Uh, because we're following Christ. And it's about Him. It's not about you. It's not about your church. It's about your walk with Jesus Christ. I want, I want you to grow in Jesus Christ. That's what I want. I want the church to grow. I'm excited about the addition. I'm telling you, when you see, I meant to mention it in the message this morning, but I knew I just didn't have time. When you see the thing done, it's going to change the way this place looks. It's going to be beautiful. I'm excited about it. But that's not church growth. That's just a little bit more square footage, so we're not so packed in. Uh, real growth is not just people coming and sitting in the pews. We got a couple that are planning on joining this coming Sunday. I'm real excited about that. I love it. But that's not necessarily church growth. It's just more people on the membership list. Real growth is, number one, are you born again? And then number two, are you growing closer to Jesus Christ? That's really a growing church. And when you account, right, an accountant, you sit down and you tally up. When you account of a man and he opens up the Bible and is going to teach you, you're supposed to account of him as of a minister of Christ and look at the second phrase, and stewards of the mysteries of God. That means I don't own the mysteries. Somebody else owns them and I'm his steward. I'm his minister to take those mysteries and do what with them in the next verse. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. That was Joseph. He was faithful in Potiphar's house, right? And since he was a steward of somebody else's goods, he, was, he got promoted, he got moved forward by being faithful with something that doesn't belong to him. That is why we're so strong around here on our doctrine. The number one application of Scripture is doctrine. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, first and foremost is what is being taught, what is the doctrine. And doctrine, when it's properly dispensed to you, will absolutely impact your practical day-to-day life. Your your way that you operate between you and God will be affected by the doctrine that's being taught. And what's required of a steward is that he be found faithful with somebody else's doctrine. It's the doctrine of God. Verse number three, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. 
I like that attitude. That's, that's a real preacher right there. He's not going to sit around and lose sleep about your opinion of him. Um, I get quite a bit of it, especially people that don't, you know, aren't from our background or whatever or don't know. It's like, man, you're awful hard. You preach awful hard. You're awful. Well, you know what? I'm going to just follow God in the way I preach, even the style with which I preach. I'm not saying my style is the only style, and since I do it this way, it's of God, and somebody doesn't do it my way, they're not of God. What I'm saying is, I'm a steward of somebody else's stuff. So he gave me an intellect, whatever it is. He gave it to me, and he gave me some teaching, and he put men in my life to teach me the Bible. He's given me a heritage, a godly heritage. He's given me an ordination, which of the laying on of hands and a passing down of some things that have been dispensed to me. And I'm, I'm required to be faithful which is with what has been given to me. And I'm supposed to teach faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. I'm taking what's been given to me and I'm passing it down to you. I'm not bringing you any doctrine that's Mike Reagan's doctrine. I'm not bringing you any doctrine that I dreamed up. This isn't some kind of a cult. I'm giving you ancient doctrine that's all rooted in the Bible that was given to me by proven men who lived and died, some of them, following God and were faithful to the end and the proof was in the pudding. Their testimony and their life panned out. I mean, the right way. And I'm passing on to you what's been given to me. But it's not mine. I'm required to be faithful with this thing and not to be worried about people judging me. The doctrine doesn't change. The way that I deliver it, God uses different men, different ways. I know great men of God with sound doctrine that don't ever move from behind the pulpit. I, I stay pretty stationary when I'm teaching, but I can't preach like that. I'm just going to be me. I'm not worried about man's judgment in me, and I'm not supposed to worry about it. And you shouldn't worry about it either. Listen, can I just encourage you something? When you invite people here, try your best not to warn them. Because you're like, okay, I want you to come to my church, but I'm just telling you, if you like it straight, I mean, my preacher is real, like, they walk in like, maybe their first impression of me, or let's pray that the first thing they meet is my wife, right? They, oh, wow, and then they meet me, and it's like, their first impression will definitely determine their prejudice toward me when I get in the pulpit. Just let him come. Don't worry about man's judgment of your preacher. Worry about whether or not he's truly a minister of Christ. Worry about whether or not he's faithful with the mysteries of God. Is he faithfully dispensing the Bible to us? And then invite people. And the ones that want the truth will come. Some people come and don't like me. Some of you are still here. You like me now, don't you? I mean, we've got to know each other. And you're like, okay, I guess I'll be gracious. I'm getting fed. So, I mean, it could be worse, right? Just... Just count whether or not he's faithful. Just watch and make sure he's following God and don't worry about man's judgment. All right, so what we're looking at are these mysteries, and I already showed you two. I'm going to show you the third one tonight or this afternoon. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Now, what you've got to keep in mind as we look at these things is that these are mysteries of Christ, right? Did you hear the word? They're mysteries. In other words, these things that we're going to look at can't always be, how do you say it? They can be explained, but I guess the best way to say it is like this. Teach me exactly everything there is to know about the Trinity. <laughs> right? How was God in a woman's womb? While God was directing him, and God was seated on a throne in the third heaven. 
You can explain everything there is to know about. How is God, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, He was? That means He's out in eternity past right now. He is. That means He's here tonight. He is to come. That means He's out in eternity future already. And He proves it by giving you a Bible that's full of prophecies, and those prophecies are all coming to pass exactly like the Bible said they were going to. You can't explain that. You know what's neat, though? You can study it. You can gather up the details and the data, and you can look at it, and the more you look at it and examine it, the more you get stronger and stronger faith that the Bible is absolutely the inerrant, infallible, inspired words of Almighty God. You can't escape this book, but you can't explain everything there is to explain about it. If you could, you'd be God. I don't want to have all the answers. You know, the day is coming when I shall know even as also I am known. And that's going to be an awesome day. All right, are you in Ephesians 5? Look at this mystery. Look at verse 30. Ephesians 5, 30. He says this, For we are members of His body, of His flesh and of His bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great what? But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. You know what a lost man said to me this week? Uh, uh, Ex-Marine, uh, almost 60 years old. He said, I got adult sons. He said, I want them to respect me. He said, I didn't respect my old man because he wasn't respectable. I want my boys to respect me. I don't want to be their buddy. Boss man. You know what men want? Men want respect. He, that's why he said, wife, see, she wrote, God knows how a man will be happy in a marriage. And you know what, God, you know what women want? They just want a man to love him as much as that man loves himself. You ever watch the young guys in the gym? They think they're like Seabum or something, you know, they're up there, Arnold, you know, and they're like, you're like, bro, that is not a six-pack, that is definitely a kegger, okay, quit. You know, they're trying to do the vacuum, and they're standing there, and they're like, shameless. That's men. Men look in the mirror, and you just think, you know, wow, look at that. <laughs> How many anorexic men do you know? But, but women, you know, it's like never good enough, never good enough, never good enough. You're wired differently than we're wired. Gentlemen, God tells you to love your wife like Christ loved the church. He wants you to have eyes for her like you have for yourself. He wants you to think as highly of her like you think of yourself. That's the inerrant nature of males. We're very, very, very selfish and self-centered. I'm not trying to be mean. I think you're a bunch of good guys. But we're inherently very selfish and self-centered. You know what the whole picture of marriage is? It's supposed to be a picture of Christ and the church. He says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. That's a wild thing. Because if you want to explain that scientifically, if you want to explain that practically, you could look at children, right? They too become one flesh. But what about people that don't have kids? Not everybody can have kids. You're still one flesh. He said, that's a wild thing. He still has the residue of the Spirit. You're still individuals at the same time. You're complete individuals, and He makes you a union. He makes you one flesh. 
Now that's a wild thing. How can you be members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones? But you are. This mystery is the body of Christ. And it's a wild mystery, and he typifies it in a marriage. Just listen to me. Please listen to me. If you're not married, please listen to me. There is more to marriage than just finding somebody to spend your life with. I'm lonely. Well, you'd rather be lonely than be living with the wrong person. You should not just put salvation number one, that is Bible. It says you're not to be joined together unequally. If they're not saved and you're saved, you have no business dating them because the purpose of dating is to figure out whether or not they're marryable. You understand? It's very dangerous to be out dating for the fun of dating. I mean, you do what you want, but I tell my girls, you can't even think about having a boyfriend until you're a senior in high school. And then we're going to start real slow and we're going to go nice and easy and we'll just kind of like see how things go and we'll, we'll relax the standards, not the standards, we'll relax the pain in the hind end dad that I am as time goes on and you earn my trust. We'll see how it goes. I don't want to date her dad. Okay, punk, move along then. I spent 20 years raising her, 18 years raising her, and I love her enough to die for her. Do you, you jerk? You don't want to stink and go through me? Why? You don't want to look at my judging eyes? Yeah, I'm judging every bit about you. You want to marry my daughter? You're going to be one flesh? Yeah, I'm judging everything right out the gate. You're not man enough to take it? Move along. Go mess up somebody else's daughter. If you love her enough to go through me, in other words, go through hell to get her, then fine, you'll go through hell to keep her. Sick of this generation. Marriage is not a stinking easy come, easy go kind of thing. It's, it's got some kind of a spiritual connection to it. And that's why when you got a culture of divorce and remarriage and divorce and remarriage, you got messed up people. Something happens there where you two are one flesh. It's much better to work it out. Amen. Yeah, listen, it's extenuating circumstances. And I know not everybody, we got a bunch of people in this church that are divorced. I'm not beating up on you. I'm talking to the ones that are married now. And if you're not married, there's something about that thing. God likens it to Christ and the church. You better find somebody that's not only born again, but believes the book like you believe it. And yeah, doctrine does matter. And church does matter. I tell my kids and any of the single uh, ladies that I can ever get a chance to talk to when they ask, and my wife tells them the same thing. Obviously, I'm not talking to single ladies by myself, but when we talk to them, we say this. Here's the way to figure a guy out. T-I-M-E. They can all fake it for a little while. Give it some time. Go to 2 Corinthians, if you would, please. And I want you to go to uh, chapter... Oh, go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll come back there in a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to show you this, this mystery. 1 Corinthians 6, look at verse 17. We looked at this this morning. Uh, back up to verse uh, uh, 15. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ. you see that? What did I just show you in Ephesians 5? It's called a mystery. You're of his bones and of his flesh. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? 
For two saith he shall be one flesh. Do you see that? I'm telling you, fornication and, and, and adultery and homosexuality and all the rest of those sexual sins, have there's a connection to that stuff and demonic possession and false religions. You're playing with fire. You parents, you go ahead and just be as hard on them as you want about the, about the internet and about their smartphones. And don't you dare bow to them when they throw a fit because their friends got all these liberties and they don't. There's their stuff. He's the prince and the power of the... That's weird. And I think about this all the time. A hundred years ago, if you walked into church with a little device in your hand and said, watch this, and you pulled up somebody else's church service all the way across the country, said, look at this. It's happening right now. They'd think you were a sorcerer. I, I got a smartphone. Breathe deep. Y'all like, oh no, here he goes. I'm just saying, you better be super careful with this stuff. So there's more to this than what meets the eye. Verse 17, but he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. You see that? So God spiritually did something with you that is typified in marriage. Then he says in verse 18, flee fornication. Get out of there. That's like, that's like Joseph. You've got to get your running shoes on. You've got to go. You know why? Paul said having no confidence in the none. That means I don't care how much you love God, love Jesus, and all the rest of that stuff. You better not ever trust your flesh at all. That's why I told you on a Sunday night, I think it was. For some Christians, you know what? If you feel like I can't go to Applebee's because you've got a history with alcohol, then don't go to Applebee's. And don't let anybody else judge you. Well, you go to Walmart. Well, you go to... I, get the, I get that. I know sometimes we get a little crazy, right? With this, the, the double standard in our religious circles. But if you've got a problem with it, get away from it. I won't be around it. I don't want to be around it. I don't want to be around it because a lot of people in my church had a problem with it. So when I go, I told you before, if I go to a restaurant, you can't find one that doesn't serve alcohol hardly nowadays. So if I go to an Applebee's or a steakhouse or whatever, I won't sit in the bar area. I wait for a booth. And I don't have any alcohol on my table while I'm sitting there, even if I'm not drinking. Why? Testimony. Why? Getting away from it. Running from the stuff. I mean, if it, if it ruins people's lives, why mess with it? Flee fornication. He says, get out of there. That's what Joseph did. Put his running shoes on and took off. Why? I think Joseph ran for more than one reason. I think one of the reasons he ran is because he figured if he stood around waiting and, and thinking and debating that he might wind up in trouble. So he said, you belong to another man and I'm gone. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sitteth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? You figure that out? That's a wild thing, isn't it? God's Holy Ghost indwells you and made you part of His body. <laughs> That's wild. Which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's a mystery. You can't figure it out. But it's a mystery that I'm told, I'm told of God, I have to teach you these mysteries, and I have to make sure you understand them as best as you can understand them. I've got to be faithful with these mysteries. You've got to understand this thing. I'm telling you, this will practically, this will practically affect the way you behave. I, I'll get to it in a second. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For as the body is one, and hath many members, 
And all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. So you've got a lot of different members of your body, right? You can go read the whole passage later. About, I mean, you've got eyes, right? Your eyes are just as much a part of your body as your fingers are. Which are just as much a part of your body as your arms are. Which are just as much a body, part of your body as your legs and your toes and your tongue and your nose and all. But it's one body with different members. That's the body of Christ. You know what's cool about this church? It's cool all the different backgrounds you all come from. It's wild to me. You know what else is cool? It's pretty cool. I don't mean like slang. I just mean like it's kind of cool. You know what I mean? Like, what else is cool? I sound like a... I don't sound like I'm in my mid-40s. That's for sure sometimes. I'm sorry. Dude, man, what's up? Anyways, you know what else is cool? <laughs> you know what else is cool? It's cool that you don't all act exactly the same way. You don't all look the same way. You don't all walk the talk, talk the same but you all believe the same thing and you're trying to live the same way as far as I can tell. You all have different gifts. But you all have some kind of gift. Like we were looking at this morning, God put certain things into a couple of different men and then enabled those men to teach some other men to do what God put in those men to do. But all the, all the congregation was helping out. They were bringing in what they could. You know, just coming to this church, you're helping us out. You realize how your car out in that parking lot that's overflowing and the cars over here in the parking lot that's overflowing. You know, recently in the last two months, I've witnessed to more than one person that says, I drive by that church all the time, man. You sure got, got pretty packed out over there. Thank you. It's because you didn't sit home well, uh, since I'm not a singer, since I'm not a Sunday school teacher, since I'm not a... You know what's pretty cool? Y'all jump up. There you go again. Cool. You know what's cool, dude? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You know what is pretty cool, though? Well, you all jump on the cleaning schedule. You know, there's not very many churches that I know of where you've got to clean like once or twice a year because there's so many people saying, can I get on the cleaning schedule? I know of churches where they're all fighting for the platform or for a position somewhere, but I don't know a whole lot of churches that are like, hey, I want to be on the cleaning list. And you ever notice the more people that are on the cleaning list, the cleaner it always stays? Miss Bonnie cleaned this week and she was over there. She's like, now I'm noticing everything and she's picking up all the lint everywhere and brushing off the pews and did a phenomenal job, by the way. It changes things, doesn't it? You know what that is? That's a body with many members. Listen to me for a second. Not every one of you is outgoing. Some of you aren't the life of the party and you're never going to be. And it's really okay for you to just be yourself. And others of you, maybe you are outgoing in the life of the party, so make sure you're not stuck up and exclusive. Be kind and fun with everybody, because we're here to minister to each other. The body's supposed to have different members. I have never allowed, and I hope to God it never starts, this competitive thing going on between us. We're trying to keep up with each other or putting pressure on each other. I may be a little overbearing sometimes and being like, don't, if I don't mess with people about not coming back on Sunday night, if I don't mess with people about not coming back on Wednesday night, don't you. I'm not saying you shouldn't encourage one another. If the Lord opens up the door, you shouldn't be an encouragement to them. I'm saying you shouldn't be that spirit of, well, where were you? Well, I mean, what's the problem? You were jealous? You wish you could have sat home and watched the game? Is that what it is? Is that why you well, I had to be there and suffer. Why weren't you there suffering? <laughs> Leave them alone. You know why? I told you this would get practical, right? Because it's the body of Christ. 
know what my kids are? I talked this morning about them getting saved. Remember when they got saved, leading my kids to Christ. What a blessing, man. We were leading our kids to Christ. I think we were together on every single one of them getting saved. You know, you know what? You know what they are once they get saved? They're his body. They're his bride. That means I don't get to march around my house and slap his bride around. That means that as a Christian husband, she's mine. Yeah, she's my, my wife. Amen. Proud of her. Very proud of her. Thank God for her more and more as we get older. What a blessing, man. And I'm hers. I belong to her. I'm her husband. Literally, she owns me. This is fun preach, isn't it? Yeah, of course she owns me. I belong to her, and she belongs to me. And we each belong to God. And that's his body. So I should try to be the kind of man that I should be. It's not my job, hear me fellas, it's not my job to make my wife grow spiritually. And it's not her job to make me grow spiritually. She's never once in 21 years that I can remember said, how come you didn't read your Bible? Seems like your prayer life's been slipping lately. Not once. Because it's not her job. You know what my job is? My job is to be the kind of husband that enables her to follow God as far as she chooses to follow him. You know, being in the ministry, it's real easy to just grab her and drag her along. You know, woman! Ooh. I'm the preacher. Well, you know what? She gets to do what she wants to do. She's the preacher's wife, so she has to be in... Okay, listen. Chapter and verse for me. Let's just start with the Bible. When you show me what she has to be, then I'll make sure that we enforce what she's supposed to be. Isn't that interesting? You know why there's a list of expectations for a deacon's wife, but God kept his mouth silent on the preacher? Isn't that weird? Did you ever look at that? In the, in the, you know why? Because deacons have a choice in the matter. If they choose to be a deacon and are willing to do that job when they're called on to do it, then they purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith. It's optional. A preacher doesn't have the option. God didn't call her. God called me. And the Lord knew how the devil would work and how people would work. So if you put a list of rules in there for the preacher's wife, he knew that the devil would use it to take advantage and beat up on her. My job ain't to beat up on her. My job ain't to make her be something. My job is to facilitate her spiritual growth by living in such a way that she can follow God as much as she wants to follow him. And the same thing's true of you, ma'am. Don't be dead weight around him. Don't be an anchor. Be a sail. But it ain't your job to push him to serve the Lord. That's the Lord's body. Now, as far as the kids go, they're the Lord's body, right? And the Lord's given me some very clear instructions on the kids. So I don't sit back and go, well, you know, they're the Lord's body, so I'm not going to discipline them and I'm not going to tell them. No, in my house, I'm supposed to rule my own house well, right? So in my house, if you're going to live in my house, get in the car. We're going to church. I don't feel like it. I don't care. And if I see my kids slipping on their Bible reading at all, I'll be like, when's the last time you read your Bible? And they turn beet red and start stuttering, and they look down, and they look the other way, and I walk away. And then I watch. And if I don't see it, I circle back, and I say, hey, I asked you a couple weeks ago when the last time was you read your Bible. I know, I've been really under conviction. I not say anything. <laughs> now, 
they all pretty much regularly read their Bible every day, but that's how we got them going. And after they got saved around 8, 9, if they weren't picking it up on their own volition, we started kind of like, hey. And we get to a certain point where it's like, okay, I don't care that you're not a reader. You're going to read one chapter a day every day. And before you know it, you know what? God gets a hold of them. You understand the difference there? You see what I'm saying? You've got to teach those kids. You've got to bring them. You don't treat them like you treat your spouse. They're not your buddy. But they are the body of Christ. They're the body of Christ. That makes me sit back and gut check myself. Say, how am I behaving? What kind of a testimony am I being to my family? I don't, I, listen, I do care very much what you think of me. Okay? I mean very, very, very much. Now, that I said that and mean it, listen to what I'm going to say. I don't care what you think of me. If I go home and my family sees me as a hypocrite, what difference does it make what your opinion is if when I'm home, I'm something different than I am here? They're just as much the body of Christ as you are. And that's important. You think you can march around the church and mistreat God's body? Look at verse 27. Now ye are, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Look at what he wants from us in his body. Verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Why? You are the bodies of Christ, body of Christ and members in particular. So when somebody's in the hospital, I make the announcement and I watch your face fall. I watch some of you. I watch the... Oh. And I send out a message that says pray. And you all get the message and you all pray. And the Lord gets hit by 150 prayers. Boom. Just like that. Just like that. The throne of God gets hit with 150 people saying, help Charlene. Help Ramona. Man, you know what a blessing that is? And you know, here's the test. Because it's real easy when somebody's suffering a lot more than you to care about them, right? That's not, that's, I mean, unless you are stinking absolutely a piece of work. <laughs> it's not easy to have your heart melt for somebody who's really going through something. Here's the real test. One of your brothers or sisters in Christ pulls in in a nice new car that's worth as much as your house is. They get promoted and they were already making more money than you and they already had a nicer house than you and nicer cars than you and they got promoted. Do you say, wow, beautiful car, I'm so happy for you and mean it. <laughs> or do you say, well, didn't you just get a new car? Well, as far as I'm concerned, it's just point A to point B. As long as it's, roll, as well, as long as it's rolling, it's fine. You know, I mean, you don't have to have all that fancy stuff. I used to preach against heated seats because I was jealous. <laughs> then I got heated seats and I got right with God. <laughs> Nothing like that warm seat already when you get in the car, when you remote start it from the living room, you know. Oh, thank you, Jesus, you know. Man, was I ever after the money back in those days. It's the same root problem, ain't it? Can you rejoice with them when they get promoted and mean it? Can I say this about that stuff? You can't take none of it with you anyhow. You really can't. And it doesn't buy happiness anyways. 
But if you got an opportunity to get it, go get it. That's fine. If you came by it honestly, if you're not cheating on your taxes to get it, if you're not being dishonest about it, and please keep your business ventures out of the church if you don't mind. Because we're not here to make money off each other. So I don't care if you've got a great pyramid scheme going and you can make everybody else in the church rich. I've seen too many times where it's caused unbelievable damage because the love of money is the root of all evil. When we get here, we want to check out a business for a little while. So please don't run around church marketing yourself. We're here to take care of each other. And we're here to respect the fact that it's all about Jesus Christ and you're as much of his body as I am. So listen to me. I don't care how poor you are. I don't care how rich you are. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how uh, smart you are. I don't care if you struggle with that kind of stuff. School ain't your thing. Do you love Jesus Christ? You want the truth of the Word of God? All right, then there's no schisms in the body. You're important to the Lord. And you're important to a church that's, a, that's the Lord's church. If the Lord's in the thing, then you're important to it. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 2. Watch this. It's a mystery. This is wild. He says in 2 Corinthians 11, 2, For I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Wait a minute. I thought you were his bride. I thought you were members of his body. You are. But your salvation's not complete yet because you're still in the flesh, so you're a chaste virgin at the same time. But you're all different members. How can we all be one body with one spirit in us and all be individual people sitting here with individual personalities, but we're all one body? That's a mystery, folks. But it's a mystery that's grounded in fact and it's doctrinal and it's true and if you're saved, you're part of it. Isn't that a wild thing? You can't hardly figure that stuff out. You can't, no, no man can sit you down and walk you through this and just have perfect understanding of every bit of it. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I like this verse. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, if you're part of his body, right? Members of his flesh and of his bones. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Okay? <laughs> I'm absent from the Lord right now, but I'm his body. But I'm at home in my body. But I'm his body. It's a mystery. Oh, it's a mystery God does. Now, while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You know what happens the moment you die? Right there. Now watch the trick of the tradesman. The Bible tells you not to dote about questions or strifes of words, right? I've run you through and I've shown you all these passages so far that you are part of his body, you're members of his body, you're members of different members in particular, but you're all part of his body and he's made you one with himself, like a man and his wife. Showed you all that. Here's what they say. I had somebody say this to me. It doesn't say that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It says we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. 
So does that mean when we die, we actually go straight to the Lord, or do we maybe wait for a little while in some kind of a dark soul sleep deal like JW? A born-again Baptist, Bible-believing, King James-only person. Well, you're already part of his body. His spirit's in you. He said if we're home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. So the second you're absent from the body, when that spirit leaves that body, guess where you are? You're going to wake up with the Lord just like that. So let me tell you something. As far as death, none of us want to die, okay? Don't be like that. Don't be like, oh, I just, I'm good, I'm just ready, and then you keep feeding yourself. I'm just ready to go. No, you don't really want to die. But I will tell you this. I can't tell you what your death experience will be like. Because it's real easy to sit here and talk tough. It's a whole other thing if you're laying on your deathbed and you start thinking about your family and you start worrying about people you're going to leave behind and you start thinking about all life that you wanted to experience but didn't get to. Or you're worrying about the kids or the grandkids. I had on, I had on the shirt that uh, BJ and Chrissy got me a sweatshirt that says the girl father, which is pretty funny. It just has one girl at the end. I need to stick her three more on there. But some lady in the, in the line at Aldi's the other day, she's like, girls? She's up in her 60s. I said, yeah. She said, I had a girl too. I said, yeah, four girls. I decided, we, me and my wife decided to quit after that. I said, even if you could guarantee me a boy, I don't want any more babies. They're getting older now. Said, oh, how old are they? Said, oh, almost 20 and 13. So she's like, oh. I said, well, let's wait for the grandsons. She said, well, I thought that, but mine's 33 now. And she said, she's Still doesn't have, she's not married, doesn't have any kids. So I said, oh, I'm sorry. She's like, yeah, well, whatever. She says, isn't it, isn't it weird it doesn't get easier, does it? I said, I stopped and I looked at her. I said, no, it really doesn't. I said, it's maybe a little less labor intensive. She said, yeah, but it's harder. I said, yeah, it does get harder, doesn't it? She said, you just keep worrying about them. They're just still your kids and your problems just get bigger. I'm trying to tell you that if you die of old age, it doesn't mean you're going to lay on that old age bed and be just excited about dying. Now, you might be. It might be great. I, I, you know what I told my family? I said, I hope when I'm dying, you're all gathered around. I hope I'm really old. I hope all the grandkids are there. It's a little imagination, you know. It don't hurt. hope all the grandkids are gathered around. Everybody's staring at the old man, and I'm like, it's the angels. It's true. It's beautiful. He came to get me. And you all, like, your faith will be just strengthened, and, you know, I can... I don't know. We hear all kinds of crazy stories, right? I'm not trying to tell you what it's going to be like. I don't know what your experience will be when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. What I know is, the second your soul leaves that body, it'll all be over. And you will be with the Lord. Because you're his bride, and you're his body, and he's got you. He's got you. So when you're gone, you'll be with him. Between here and there, I pray for grace. I pray for the presence of God. I pray for the power of God. I pray for the touch of God. I pray it all goes well. But I can't guarantee you none of that. A couple more passages. Look at Romans chapter 7. What I can guarantee you is that when you exit the body, you're present with the Lord. Romans chapter 7. Look at verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye might be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. You know why he made you part of his body? Married you to himself? See the purpose of it? To bring forth fruit. 
That's the point of the body. You know what church is all about? Gathering together like we talked about this morning? People, I'm just, it just saddens my heart. It literally saddens my heart. It frustrates me to see saved people that don't know what church is about. This, I just, this, I'm exhausted with my colleagues. I'm exhausted with them. I'm exhausted with them. Just, just, it's, it's just a career. You just do what you do because it's how you do it and it's how you were trained in seminary and all the rest of that stuff. I mean, like, it's, you know what seminary is, right? It's, it's a cemetery where, where preachers go to die. You know, it's the, it's the cemetery. That's what it is for preachers. I'm not talking about Bible Institute. I'm not talking about learning the Bible, being instructed in the Word of God. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about seminary where you're taught how to be a professional preacher. I'm exhausted with them. You know what church is all about? It's all about you getting to know Jesus Christ better. You're supposed to come here to get fed the words of God and have the Bible taught to you so that you can personally, individually, each draw closer to Jesus Christ. It ain't about making you so dependent on the church that you can't function, you don't even know what you believe. It's about establishing you in what you believe and you're dependent on the church because that's what God did to help you grow. You know it as time goes on. Romans chapter 12. Look at verse 5. Romans chapter 12, verse 5. So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. You see that? That's why when people come, I tell them, oh, you know, I'm glad you want to join. We're happy to have you join. But I say, would you just kind of like come faithfully for at least two months? Just faithfully. Just come faithfully for at least a couple of months. Two, three months. Let's just kind of see how it goes. Why? Because I want to make sure that you actually, and I want you to make sure, that you actually understand what we believe and what we stand for and that you're genuinely on board with who and what we are. Because it's fair to you and it's fair to us. Why? Because we're not really all about ourselves. This sovereign citizen garbage, you know, typical rebellious Americans is what that is. It ain't all about you. It's all about Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. Nobody's that impressed with you or me. Because we've, I've just never taught people to be that way. That's just not what this church is about. We'd rather you get up here and make halfway a mess of the singing, but do it from the right heart, than to be some kind of Broadway-level show-off and think that you, you know, everybody's just going to fall at my feet when they see how wonderful I am. No, we're not. <laughs> Been around the block a time or two, okay? You ain't going to come in here and just blow our minds. Whoa, never had anything that wonderful before. <laughs> it's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. And it's about one another. All right, I'm almost done. Let me give me uh, just a couple more. Go over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We'll get Ephesians 2, and then we'll get Ephesians 4, and we'll be done for this afternoon. Now, watch this. This is wild. Ephesians 2, start in verse 5, if you would. This is a wild, this is beautiful. This is such a crazy thought. And, and hopefully, I mean, I've been mentioning it a time or two here in the Revelation series and it's been coming up in the Sunday morning preaching too. So hopefully you understand now what I'm saying when I say it. You'll understand it in just a second. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy. Man, ain't you glad about that? That'll preach. For his great love wherewith he loved us. That, that, that blows my mind that God loves me. He condescended. He humbled himself. And he humbles himself to even listen to me. What a God, man. 
even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved. Now watch this. And hath, past tense, raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. <laughs> you know where you are? Well, you're sitting in church at 52909 10 Mile Road, South Lyon, Michigan. That's where you are, right? You know where you are at the same time spiritually? You know who you are? I'm Mike Reagan. That's just who I am. I'm stuck with it. I got what I got. There's nothing I can do about it. You know, here I am. You're looking at me. But you've never really seen me, actually. You're just seeing what I ride in. This is just my vessel. It's just carrying me around and getting me through this life. You've never, you never really seen But here I am. You know who else I am? And you know where else I am? I, I'm the body of Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's a mystery. Explain that, preacher. Pass the salt. <laughs> you, you know where I am? I'm standing on the platform right now at church. Unless this is a very, very vivid dream, I'm pretty sure I'm here right now. You know where else I am? I'm up over there in eternity, future. I'm out there at the judgment where the Lord saw the sea of people standing out there in the book of Revelation and he shows you the saints in the book of Revelation. He calls them up into eternity in the spirit on the Lord's day and has them look back. He's looking back from eternity into time. And what he sees out there when he writes it down is you. <laughs> you figure that out because I can't. I'm just teaching it to you because it shows you it's in the Bible and that's where it is. You're as good as seated with him. So what's all this talk about once you die, your soul stays in the grave or something, soul sleep until the resurrection? That's a bunch of garbage. You're already seated with him up there. Isn't that wow? Now let's end over here. Look at chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We'll stop here for tonight or this afternoon, whatever it is. Ephesians chapter 4, look at uh, verse 11. He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now, I've taught you this before, but just for the sake of newer folks, real quick, you still have the apostles and prophets. Do you understand that, right? You see where you got them? Don't let some guy come along and tell you he's an apostle. Or some guy come along and tell you he's a prophet. If I'm going to tell you I'm a prophet, then here's how I got to do it. I got to open up the Bible and prophesy from what God said based on what the Bible says. So I'll be a prophet for a minute. When I die, I'm going to heaven. I just prophesied. Let me be a prophet for a minute. Any day now, the Lord's going to come for you. We're looking for the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And when he does come, all hell breaks loose on this earth. The world has turned against Israel, tries to wipe her off the face of the map. He gets about, they get just about get the job done. The Antichrist pops up, the man of sin, all that stuff takes place. He sits down in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, and just about gets Israel wiped off the map. The Roman Catholic Church is involved in all the rest of that mess. They kill him, he comes back to life, blah, blah, blah. We can go through all that in Revelation, right? Then Jesus Christ comes back with a, on a white horse, and a sword comes out of his mouth, and you and I follow him, and it, the sword comes out starts chopping off heads until the blood runs up to the horse's bridle in the battle, a Valley of Armageddon. Then Jesus Christ goes into Jerusalem, sits down on the throne and rules and reigns on the throne of David in Jerusalem for a thousand years. And you rule and reign with him. 
And we'll get to the rest of it as we continue going through the book of Revelation. But then the devil gets tied up for a thousand years. Then the devil comes out of the pit. At the end of the thousand years, gets a great army with him. And the battle of Gog and Magog ensues. And God blows him up like an atomic of nuclear explosion the world's never seen before. Brings down a new heavens and a new earth. And eternity future begins. I just prophesied. You understand where every bit of my prophecy just came from? It's the apostles and prophets. Now you had them. They were the foundation, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And what you're reading when you read this stuff is you're reading apostles. Paul was one of the apostles. Am I, am I not apostle? Have I not seen the Lord's Christ? He laid eyes on Jesus Christ, proving that he was an apostle, and God gave him the scriptures. So there's your apostles and your prophets. I got all these prophets back here, and I'm reading through them right now in my personal devotions. That's great stuff. You know what most of them are talking about? Most of them are talking about stuff that has yet to come. And then what you got left is pastors and teachers. Uh, pastors to be apt to teach. What's the purpose? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, that's the building up, of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know what you're all doing? You're all in a growth process. And between here and heaven, you will never outgrow church, and you will never outgrow Bible study. You'll never outgrow it. You'll never get to the point where you're like, well, I've arrived so much that preacher can't teach me nothing. You'll never get there. And if you think you got there, you have stunted your growth. We're supposed to keep at it and keep at it and keep learning and keep asking God for wisdom and keep growing in the Lord and keep growing in the Lord and keep praying, keep learning, keep growing, keep praying, keep learning, keep changing, keep submitting, keep surrendering, stay sensitive, keep filling up, keep getting emptied out, fill back up, get emptied out, fill back up, keep coming, keep growing until he shows up or you die. Because you're his body. And it's not all about you. It's about you helping other people too. I'll leave you with this pretty neat illustration. There's this town over in Italy, and uh, it, they had an excessive amount of centurion, uh, uh, centurions, centenarians, people living to 100 years. And so they went over there to study them to figure out, like, what's going on? What is it about this certain pocket of people way up in the mountains in Italy where they're living so long? And, and they, they kind of got around there they're asking the locals questions, and there was no one thing that led to them living 100 years. But they did find that one of the things that seemed to help a lot was that the older folks in the community weren't just thrown aside. They weren't just, and I'm not, I'm not against nursing homes, okay? I recognize that there's times you've got to have it and probably breaks your heart to have to do it and all that stuff. I get that. I'm not against it. But in this particular culture, they didn't have them. They're up in the mountains. They're way off and, and kind of cut off from the world. And so what they did is they took care of their elderly and the health and the joy of having family around you and the assistance of your kids as you got older was part of the equation that they were saying, this is probably why these people are living this long. And the funny thing is they were asking them and they said, well, we have a little bit of a parable, a little bit of a fictional story around here that we kind of go by. And they said, here's the story. The story goes like this. There's a community of people that just were really um, struggling with having to deal with all the older folks. And since they realized once people get past a certain age, they just really aren't profitable anymore to the community because they're just a lot of work and they're a drain on society. And so that particular community, once the person got to a specific age, they'd take them up on a cliff and shove them off. 
it's a fictional story that they would tell in this town, okay? This is the fictional story. It's a fictional story. It's a parable that they would teach their people. I said, take them up. They all just like panicked. They take them up on the cliff and shove them off. I figured that illustration might get you, you know? And so there's this one particular guy in the town that just seemed to be doing so much better than everybody else. I mean, he was just surpassing everybody in everything he was doing. He was just making more money and getting well, more well-to-do and just seemed to be extra sharp. So they sat down with him and they said, listen, man, what's the deal with you? How come you're so far past everybody else? What are you learning that we don't know? How are you getting this done? And he said, oh, well, when my dad got to the age that you all say we got to push him off the cliff, I just love my dad. I couldn't do it. So I hid him away in the house. And every day when I'd come home from work, I'd sit down and I'd talk with my dad. And that old man would dispense to me some wisdom that I didn't have, and then I'd go to work and I'd utilize some of what my dad taught me. And then I'd come back in and I'd sit down with dad after work and we'd talk about it. And he said, my dad's still alive at the house and he's given me his wisdom. And because of my dad's wisdom, I've been able to surpass where all you are when you shove your parents off the, off the cliff because they were too much work for you. Isn't that a great little story? Yeah. See, you're judging me too quick. you got, got to stop. you got to back off a little bit on me. <laughs> what I'm trying to tell you, <laughs> all you older folks were like, stone him! <laughs> I love you too. Thank you for the sweet judgment. <laughs> what I'm trying to tell you is, when you get to the point where, from the world's point of view, you ain't worth nothing, if you keep walking with Jesus, if you keep learning a little bit more about him, if you keep drawing closer to him, if you realize that your body might be failing you, but you're his body, you're still profitable. I know we got a day and age when all the churches are old people, you know, all the f traditional churches or the orthodox churches or whatever, it's all old people. So then we got to kick the old people out and bring in a new culture so we can reach the young people. You know what this church is? Neither. I like all the young people we got running around having to meet with the Sunday school teachers because we got so much growing pains we can't keep up with it and we're ripping our hair out because the nursery's a mess and we're trying to, it's very clean and all that stuff, but it's just more and more work. I love those kind of problems. You know what else I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for all the older folks that have been coming. It's not like to me that when you're old enough to be my parent, you come and call me pastor, and I really appreciate it. And you're worth something. And everybody in between. You know why? Because it's the body of Christ. As long as you keep that same spirit, then we'll get along just fine. We'll make it all about Jesus. It's a great mystery. And there you have it. I can't explain it, but I just taught it. Let's pray.